On this last devotional before the resurrection of Jesus, we look at a place he was taken to and one full of scriptural significance. Today, we are focusing on Jesus's journey off of the cross and into Joseph's tomb. I'll be speaking about the last 10 verses of Matthew 27. If you're able to do so, pause this devotional and read Matthew chapter 27, verses 57 through 66. For a mere 10 verses, there is quite a lot to unpack, so I'll be using the ever-so-helpful five W's, who, what, when, where, and why, to give us some insight into this important passage. Let's start with who. Who was Joseph of Arimathea? Joseph was a member of the Sanhedrin, and as mentioned the other day, they were a council of elders who had a great influence on Jewish society. Personally, I would refer to them as Beanocks, the big names on campus. They were extremely well-known, and their influence would impact most Jewish circles. Lots of people would know their names, even. However, you might also remember them as the group rebuked quite often by Jesus because they were promoting sometimes their own agendas over God's will and law. With such a role in the Sanhedrin, Joseph did have the power and authority to speak directly with somebody like Pontius Pilate, and maybe even ask something of Pilate. And that's exactly what he did. He asked for Jesus' body so it could be properly buried. And because of his position on the council, the influence he had in getting this request granted was greater than if someone from Jesus' family or maybe even one of the other disciples tried to get him removed. But the most important thing to know about Joseph is he was a disciple of Jesus. It's stated right there in the text. Being a part of an influential um, and being a member of an influential part of Jewish society, uh, it was a secret that he followed Jesus. And even in John's account of the burial, we even see another member of the Sanhedrin, Nicodemus. He was the one who went to speak Jesus late at night. Um, We see him come out even as well to publicly serve Jesus. And Joseph really did care for Jesus. He wanted to honor him in the best way that he could, which we'll hear more about in a second. So what is happening in these verses? Well, Jesus is removed from the cross and given that proper burial per Jewish tradition. And Joseph is making his devotion to Jesus known publicly. And things start to move pretty quickly because when is this all happening? Well, it's on the day of preparation or the day before the Sabbath. And as you might know, there was no work to be done on the Sabbath, including the removal of a body from a cross, which means they needed Jesus's body taken down quickly before the Sabbath day of rest began. It's funny because we see in the second part of this passage what actually happened on the Sabbath day. Ironically, the chief priests and the Pharisees who pushed for Jesus's crucifixion ended up doing work on the Sabbath day. And no, 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 they weren't performing their priestly duties like they were supposed to. They were having a meeting with Pilate to make sure the tomb of the crucified Christ was secured and guarded. Man, I'm getting deja vu for all the times they fought with Jesus about working on the Sabbath. It must not have applied here. Where is this happening? The tomb had to be close at hand because, as we know, there was limited time before the Sabbath started. And we are told it's Joseph's own new tomb. Most likely, it was meant to be Joseph's family tomb, one that he was going to be buried in. This unused tomb reminds me actually of the unridden donkey that Jesus borrowed on Palm Sunday. There's quite a parallel there. And this unused tomb was a place um, that wasn't his. It was borrowed. 
Do you remember when Jesus said, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his, uh, his head? Who knew at that time, besides Jesus, that he was even referring to his burial place? Why? Why was it this tomb? Well, the tomb gave Jesus an honorable place to rest because it was a tomb for the wealthy. Joseph's place on the council meant he was likely a man with money, so his family tomb reflected this. Also, tombs with a big fancy rock to roll over the entrance weren't for everyday people. But Joseph's tomb wasn't only an honorable resting place, but it was the fulfillment of prophecy made by Isaiah. I'm going to read from Isaiah chapter 53, verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Just as this prophecy says, Jesus was condemned as a criminal and buried in the tomb of a rich man. Look at that, a fulfilled prophecy. That's why this tomb was picked. And why would it need to be secured? We read that in the later part of this chapter. Well, the religious leaders were still afraid of Jesus, even when he died. So they wanted to make sure he remained a prisoner, even in death. They wanted to do whatever they were able to, to make sure the resurrection didn't come to pass. It's pretty funny that they thought a seal and some guards could stop what God was planning to do. Now, I could stop with these five W's and we would have a richer understanding of Joseph's tomb and the scriptural importance of this place. However, if I did stop here, we would be missing an opportunity to sit in the tension of this day. The tension that, thousands of years ago, many of Jesus' disciples, including the secret ones like Joseph and Nicodemus, would have been experiencing They remember the words Jesus spoke. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and he will be raised on the third day. Man, it must have been hard to remember the third day Jesus spoke about when those closest to Jesus saw the journey he took to the cross. Those disciples saw Jesus heal and even bring people back from death. How could he not wake up now? Joseph was there when the nails were removed from his hands and feet and the ropes were cut to allow the limp and lifeless form of his secret savior to fall upon all those working quickly to bury him in a borrowed tomb. It's hard to remember resurrection is coming when all we've experienced and read this week is focused on betrayal and death. Even saying that last sentence makes me want to proclaim the victory we know is coming, to end the tension and just feel better about it all. But I won't. Today, I want to embrace the tension because it is something we experience often in the broken world Jesus came to redeem. May we ask God to be present with us in the tension, for he knows it all too well because he experienced it on the cross. So as we close out this devotional series, may this prayer rest on our lips. Be present, O God, in the tension. Be present, O God, in the waiting. Be present, O God, with us. Amen. Thank you for listening.